Happy New Year. I hope I can make it through this service. Uh, we will see. It's, it is wonderful to be sharing this New Year's Day with all of you. And, um, and there's a lot to celebrate, so much to celebrate that we want to, to reflect on today and reflect on with each other and uh, to, to join in all of this. Um, the ball dropped on time last, last evening, so uh, I guess that we know that time is still working. Uh, we, we need that ball drop to let us know uh, how things are going with, with the whole structure of time in the world. Uh, Sonia and I got to celebrate our uh, 54th wedding anniversary last evening with uh, friends here. And, and as I always say, with a few thousand of our closest companions in Times Square, so that was, that was nice. Uh, it, things have been so good that we've decided to renew our wedding vows for another six weeks, so that's, that's a good thing, too. <laughs> Uh, I want to warn you in advance uh, that uh, the, uh, today, after the worship service, uh, we're going to have a, um, a very brief congregational meeting. We'll have a little pause so that if anybody needs to go to an airplane flight or anything like that, you can leave. But it's not going to delay you much because it only takes just a, couple, a few minutes, but it's to fulfill... Uh, uh, the legal requirements of the state of New York, and it's uh, electing, officially, formally electing our elders as trustees in accord with the laws and, of the state and so forth. Um, we've just prayed together in one of those, those rites that are part of this congregation, laying on hands um, with grief and with joy, bidding Godspeed to uh, Kyle and Alexandra Swan, uh, along with, of course, uh, Violet and Rowan. There's grief, certainly, at the loss of their wonderful presence and their wonderful ministry among us, which is, has been and is to this very moment such a blessing. But also joy that we can send them out, send them forth as messengers of God's work from this congregation to another family of believers in Denver. Uh, Colorado, the Littleton Church, where we know that they will be a great blessing to that congregation. All of us who know them know just how much they can and will contribute. The, the, the congregation doesn't really know, uh, there I don't think, really knows yet what wonderful people they're getting, but we do, and with joy we can send them forth as, as part of our family. There's one more thing I want to, to mention <clears throat> sort of as we <clears throat> move over into our, our message this morning, and that is that um, this morning, this very morning as it happens, is the 250th anniversary of the great hymn Amazing Grace. It was written by John Newton for a worship service on January the 1st, 1773. Now, as people know well, and the story of John Newton is fairly well known, if you know anything of, of songwriters of hymns and so forth, he had earlier in his uh, adulthood, um, by conscription and all other things, become a slave trader. 
whose life was then redirected by coming to faith and ultimately, after a long journey, became one of the leaders of, of abolition uh, in, in England as, a, as an Anglican minister. No one knows exactly what tune was used the first time the hymn was, was sung on that January the 1st, 1773, but almost everybody knows it by the music written by William Walker in 1835. Now that already is 188 years ago, but the, the song itself, the, the, the poetry, the lyrics are 250 years ago. And so since, in honor of that 250th anniversary, and because it fits well with our farewell to the swans, and it fits well with the message today, I want us, even though you don't have it in front of you, I think you probably have it in your memories or hearts, Let's, I want us to sing a couple of verses, if you don't mind. We're going to sing the first verse and the verse that begins through many dangers. Uh, I don't have any idea whether I'm going to come anywhere close to the note that it's supposed to start on. But would you stand? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but title of the message today. I don't know whether it's kind of really old now, but if any of you know The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by Douglas Adams, what's, the, what, what's on the front cover of, of The Hitchhiker's Guide? Don't panic. And I think if there were a cover message that could be put on the Bible, or in the New Testament anyway, it might be this, the title for this, this message. Don't be afraid. It's only about once every seven years, about, because it's suggested by, uh, by uh, uh, leap years and so forth, that Christmas and New Year's Day fall on a Sunday. And uh, we in our, the congregation, at least with me, they've, uh, we have a tradition on the first Sunday of each uh, year, even when it's not New Year's Day, to have our reflections focused on Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 34, focused on that, that command of Jesus to seek first the kingdom of God and his 
righteousness and all these other things will be yours as well. If you have the, the notes that are, were prepared for this message, and if you don't, raise your hand and you can get uh, the, someone will bring them to you. I've included that text because it's so important. In rather small print, I'd have to say, because I wanted to leave a little space on the back side there, uh, at, beginning at the bottom of the front side of those, those notes and going on onto the, the, the seconds page. But as it happens in our journey through the Gospel of Luke, we have come to the parallel passage in, uh, in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, in the Gospel of Matthew, it's the, the, this particular teaching is given to us as part of the Sermon on the Mount, which is, in Matthew, it's given right at the very beginning of, of Jesus' ministry, and Jesus is teaching these vast crowds that had come to him, and he sits down on the mountain, and his disciples are there, but he teaches all, all of them. In the Gospel of Luke, it is set in a different time in Jesus' ministry. It's set in part, as part of his journey to Jerusalem after, after the, uh, his transfiguration and all of that. And the journey starts in chapter 9, verse 51, and continues on for about nine chapters in the Gospel of Luke. And so it, it's in a different place. And so we get a little bit of the way in which these traditions about Jesus were handed down. Jesus, of course, uh, just, if you just think for a moment about how Jesus taught, he's traveling around from town to town to place to place, Crowds uh, all over the place, teaching them often. They come often for healing, but they also stay for the, Jesus, Jesus' teaching. And so he must have taught the same basic teaching numerous times. And traditions in different locales of the church <clears throat> would, gather, uh, would, would be gathered up uh, about these. And as you read the, the form of these, these teachings in the Gospel of Luke and read them in the Gospel of Matthew... And have both of them there on your sheet. Uh, 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 thanks to Byron so much for, for beautifully reading the, the passage from the Gospel of Luke. You'll find that there's a lot of places where it's almost exactly the same wording. But it's a little different in some of the order of things and, and so forth. Different things emphasized and, and all of that. So you get the sense of how these traditions about Jesus' teachings richly developed. He taught these same basic teachings in differing times and settings as he traveled. And even then, as, you know, as, the, as time passes and people are teaching them again and again and again, they, they uh, interact with each other. And Luke perhaps has read the, 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 this per, uh, particular batch of Jesus' teachings. Maybe even in the Gospel of Matthew, it's hypothetically possible. I don't think so myself, but... But it's possible. He's read it someplace. He also knows that he's learned it and has taught it himself in, in, uh, in other ways. And so he gives it to us in a way that's much the same, but also a little bit different. And it, um, it, it gives to us, in verse 32, as you look at the, the text there, it gives to us that the phrase that gives the title to this message and, and that this, this overwhelming emphasis... Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, little flock. Because your father chose with delight to give you the kingdom, his kingdom. Then the next word, I wish he'd left this one out, but sell the things at your disposal. 
and give with generous mercy. Eliemosine. Make purses for yourselves that don't get old. An inexhaustible treasure in God's realm. Whoo! What a thing to think about. But it goes right along with all of it. Don't be anxious. Refuse to be anxious. Don't be afraid. And then it lays as the basis of it what God has done, who God is. God, with, his, with delight, has chosen. He chose to give you his kingdom. He's given it to you. That's who God is. Can I learn that same delight in giving life, giving stuff, giving things to those that, that are neat, who deserve, not, not who deserve, who, who are the potential recipients of mercy. And that's most everybody in the world. New Year's gives us a moment to think about how we live life. We live life, do you live it in the past? Do you live it in the future? Well, uh, yes, you know, I like Scrooge, you know, and his recovery. I'm going to live the spirit of Christmas in the past, the present, and the future. But actually, all of us just live this moment. That was too short. No, that was too long. Because the present that we're in is an infinitesimal border between the unchangeable past, the effects of all the things that have happened before that we have in memory. Even the words that I just said at the beginning of this sentence are unchangeable past. I could, cannot take them back. And it's that tiny border between that unchangeable past and the future that is not yet real, but is subject to present decisions and actions that are created in this infinitesimal moment of now. We think in our memories and we look around and see the effects of the past. Somebody made decisions to build this building the way they did, to have this pulpit where it is, to, for, for uh, you know, to have, well, all kinds of things. You can imagine it. I don't have to fill in the blanks for you. All kinds of things. We live in, in, a, in a, a monument to all of those decisions that have been made, and yet we live in an unfolding future in which we act to change and to create the future that, that God gives to us. We, God gives us that power of creating with him here and now. Now Jesus, as you read the story, read his teaching in, in Luke chapter 12 that you, you heard read and you have in front of you, Jesus is urging them to live in that present moment, consciously, completely, without anxiety and without fear. But as we all know, in reality, memories of past mistakes, anticipations of our vulnerability, and just all the bad things that can happen in the future make it really, really rather difficult 
to, to do, to, to, to live in the present. And so that's why Jesus starts out the way he, he does, talking to his disciples, especially here in Luke. He's maybe talked to crowds and other situations, but here he has his disciples around him, and he's wanting to emphasize the transformation of thinking that they particularly need. It's for everybody, but it's especially for disciples to live fully in the present as God's gift without anxiety and without fear. All of those Anxieties and fears, though, make it really hard to live with grace and with beauty and without fear. We know that. We've been through a pandemic. And just that's sort of a, just a paradigm of so many other things that are surrounding our lives. And our anxieties and fears about what we can control and what we can secure push us to trust whatever little sliver of power in this world that we have and the possessions that are in our grasp. And we fence our lives around with those things and guard them and anxiety is there and fear is there. And Jesus knows that, senses that, even in his disciples and certainly in the crowds around them, so many of whom came to him, rushing to him because they were going through really difficult Things and because they had people that were sick and they needed to, to, uh, to deal with that. And so they lined up for Jesus, to, for, for him to take care of those things. So we, he begins to work at this and to teach them about it. And as you read that passage in Luke or the passage in the Gospel of Matthew, it has that distinct cast of Jesus teaching. It, it is so astonishingly down-to-earth for a prophet, for, um, for one who comes, as we believe, as the, the very presence of God among us. It is just in the, the language of everyday people, looking out just at the grass and the field and the birds and, and all of those things, but seeing in them uh, a way of viewing the entirety of, of the world. And I wanted this morning as we, as we do this, to, I wanted to pair it with another text, uh, the, the passage in Luke. And so you'll see second on your sheet, the passage in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. And I want to propose to you that uh, these two passages, hmm, I'm not sure I can say they say the same thing but they are reflecting on the same fundamental challenge that, that we have. Every day as we go into this year, as we have every moment of the last year and every moment that we live, we face the challenge of how to live. It never gets old. And when you compare what Jesus says and what Paul says in Ephesians 3, you see here, you will hear, of course, very different styles of language. And Paul's is cast not in the, in the form of teaching, but in the form of prayer for these congregations that he's writing to, the congregations of believers. Paul himself is sitting in prison when he writes this. And he um, writes it kind of as a circular letter to a whole group of, of congregations. The, the copy, evidently, that we got of it is the one that was sent to the church in Ephesus, and thus we have the name the Ephesians. But 
both of them, whether it's Jesus talking to, on the Sermon on the Mount or Jesus talking on the journey to Jerusalem to his disciples or Paul sitting in prison writing to the, these Christians, he's challenging us to remake our vision, our vision of God and our vision of ourselves. If you start sort of thinking about that, think about the way in which Jesus talks at the beginning of this. Don't, I'm telling you, therefore, because of all the things that he said before, refuse to be anxious about life, what you should eat, about the body, what you should wear. The, the word life here is the word psyche from which we get psychology. It, it is the vitality of our lives, it's the soul, it's the inner being of who we are, the consciousness. It is that whole life that makes one a human being, and it involves all of those things. And the body is merged with it. The two go together. They are not separable from each other, really, and to have a human being there. And so, But Jesus, as he looks at people and watches them, they think about their vitality almost as if it were something material that could be characterized by worry about food. And their body is, they equally think of it as though it's something material that could be protected just by clothing. But Jesus wants them to see themselves, wants us to see ourselves as something so much more. We devalue ourselves as though our physical were only material. And in that process, we remove God. We remove God from the physical and from the present. We let him be very spiritual, very high and noble and beyond all of our imaginations and so forth. But that physical is what God created. And the present is that creation of time that God has given us as the way that we live moment by moment in this instant right here. That's the way that time is created in our universe as God has created it. And God wants us not to do either one of those, not to devalue ourselves and not to remove God from the physical and the transitoriness of the present and the and, uh, uh, present life and its instantaneousness. Refuse anxiety, Jesus says, you are, your psyche, your being, your consciousness, your what makes you a human being is something far more than any material thing. Your body itself is also more. It's more. Don't, don't reduce it. It's merged with all of that. Don't be afraid. God has already decided with joy to give you his kingdom. The things, yes, out there that we think can preserve us and protect us are only things. What matters is, what are you creating in this particular moment? What are you doing? What is this moment? How are you sharing creation with God? What you do is more. 
The present that God has created and given to us is your power. God gives you the power to make the entire future of the world different at every moment. Now, it may not be a big difference. It's not like having a baby. That's a big difference changing the world. But it is a choice, and every choice, every decision, every way that you live because of the way that you see the world and what you see as reality, that is your creating the future along with God. That is so much more, and you are participating in all of that. And so he, he, wants, he wants you to take that seriously. Think about those lilies out there. God's out in the field clothing lilies. That's the God who scattered the galaxies, who knows the subatomic particles, who knows you, who clothes the lilies. He is great on so many levels. And so Jesus points to feeding those ravens. See God. See God. If you want to see God, see God everywhere. Not exclusively in things that we count as spiritual, but not exclusively in things that we count as physical. In everything, all the way through, pervading everything. And so he urges you, both in Matthew and in Luke, seek God's kingdom. Kingdom not defined in any exact way that it is simply the reality of the whole universe that God is its king and he is bringing that about he wants his kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven so that you seek out God's kingdom God's realm as I often can sometimes translate it God's as it comes up in in Ephesians God's glory is God's reality let it be a um, you be a place in which it flourishes. You be a center of that kingdom. He's given it to you. And so you live that world. God gives. That's who God is. That is the delight of God. He gives you the kingdom. And then that comes that phrase, sell your possessions and give with generous mercy. Ah, sell the things that are at your disposal. Not the things that aren't at your disposal, but the things that are at your disposal. So that they stay things and don't become protective walls. Don't become gods that you're seeking. Seek his kingdom and in that process learn what the grace of God's life of generosity and fulfillment in giving. So give with generous mercy so that you know, you begin to know, you get a hint of the delight of God's life. Hmm. That's a challenge for a new year. Thinking of the ways in which we can and will do this as every moment is our power of creation, of a new year, of a new world, of a new time, of a new future. And then Paul, if we look over to that Ephesians passage, which has not been read to you yet, 
Paul writes from prison. He's writing like Jesus is talking to a little flock, but sees them as receiving God's kingdom. He's writing to little communities, but the vision is universal. Let me just, if you don't mind, just read it very quickly through so that we have it in front of us. Because of this, he says, and the this, if you go back in the verses there, is the confident access that we have to God through Jesus' faithfulness. Because of this, because we have this access to God through Jesus, I'm bowing on my knees before the Father. It's from him that every family in God's realms and on earth has its identity. I'm praying that in accord with the unique riches that belong to the Father's glorious reality, the Father's glory is who he is, manifested in a way that's very distinctive to God, that belong to the Father's glorious reality, he may give you the gift to be made strong. Strong with a power that comes through his spirit flowing into your inner human being, your inner being. It's your inner anthropos in Greek. That's in order that the anointed king, the Christos, the Christ, may make his home in your hearts through faith. Notice the Father, the Holy Spirit, the Son, that all three are there in, <laughs> in you, in me. There's no place for deprecating ourselves as we go into this. This is the way God wants it, that through this, this astonishing richness of his glorious reality, he gives power to you so that through his spirit flowing into your inner being, the anointed king, Christ, may make his home in your hearts through faith, through your faith in his faithfulness as your roots are going deep into his love and your life has that love as its foundation. The traditional translation is rooted and founded or grounded in love. I'm praying that you, along with all God's people, may have the power. Notice how Paul likes to talk about that power of God. Not, not running the world or wanting even to take over our world with all of its rinky-dink little empires but power to comprehend that love, to see it, or to become part of the way, what I see when I look out at everything in the whole world, to comprehend that love, just how broad it is, and how long and high and deep, so that you may know deeply the love that flows from the anointed king from Christ even though it will always surpass knowledge. The ultimate purpose is that you, 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 Tom, actually, you, all of us, that you may be filled up with all the fullness of God. Now, though the one who, beyond all things, is able to accomplish far more abundantly than what we ask or imagine in accord with, it, with the power that's been set to work in us, to him belongs glory in the church and in the in anointed King Jesus into all the generations of the ages of ages. 
The future has no more fears. All the generations of the ages of ages. Amen. Well, they're very different. But when you get into them, they are the same life. Paul is living out, sitting in prison, the teaching of Jesus and communicating it to that church. That Father's rich glory gives strength through God's Spirit pervading us. So Jesus lives in us. We trust in his faithfulness. We're rooted and grounded in his love. And in that process, the world is changed for us. We see everything differently, the physical and the spiritual. Our consciousness, our ability to hold past and future together in all of its variety learns the vastness of that love. That love is the real world. The world that we so often see and that causes us such anxieties and fears is a world that's tripping by and passing away. That world of God's love is the real world, God's vast, generous, amazing grace beyond knowing. We little beings can be filled with God's fullness. Too much? Too much to claim? <laughs> too, much, too much to take in? No. God pervades it all. And in this passing present instant, he is able to give us his kingdom, give us existence, give us this time as our creative now. And so it's in these moments that we create that treasure that is in God's realm, making our who we are, what we do, matter, and escape from the dependence that gives us anxiety and fear. Amen. Amen. Let's go into the new year. Let's stand together for a word of, of benediction before we have our brief meeting. I'll wait a few, few moments after it in order to, to give us time. I'm going to draw again from these words that I've just read a moment ago. I'm praying that you, along with all God's people, may have the power to comprehend that love, just how broad it is, how long and high and deep, so that you may know deeply the love that flows from the anointed Messiah even though it will always surpass knowledge. And that's the ultimate purpose of all that God has done, is that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Amen.